Hey everyone, I'm your co-host Mariah here to wish you a happy 420 and welcome you to another episode of Down for the Cause. And we're so excited to talk about the topic of cannabis justice. And I'm your other co-host, Sydney. This week, we partnered with True Fact, an organization that provides fact-based education on the uses of cannabis. Mariah and I had a chance to speak with the founders, Cisco McLaren and Scott Goodman, about their advocacy efforts. Be sure to check out their full interview to hear about personal cannabis use, common misconceptions, and how you can be an ally in the fight for cannabis justice. Yeah, so I feel like everyone is really excited to talk about weed right now. Not only is it 420, but also from a media attention standpoint, there's been a huge spotlight on it as more and more states have started to pass progressive legislation, progressive legalization. I mean, right now we have 15 states, I think, where it's recreational and legal and more states joining like New York and New Mexico as of recent in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And from a medicinal standpoint, almost all states allow some form of medical marijuana, except Idaho and Nebraska. I think they're the only ones that don't allow any form of weed. Come on, Idaho. Come on, Nebraska. What are, what are we doing over there? I What's mean, going on? Yeah, that seems weird and kind of random. But it is important to point out, even within those states, there are some that are more or less restrictive, especially when it comes to like how much you can have on your person, what different forms you're allowed to consume, whether it's like CBD oil or actual like smoking weed. And even to the point of like how much you're able to keep in your house. So there's a lot of different areas within the realm of legalization where there's still work to do. Yeah, actually, my initial fascination with drug policies and prohibition came from a class I took in college. So shout out, Professor V, if you're listening. That shit was dope. (laughs) Anyway, like I said, this is one of my favorite topics to unpack because throughout history, a lot of our perceptions about drug consumption has a lot to do with who is consuming it. Mm. And we saw this play a huge role in the war on drugs, which was initiated in the early 1970s, which criminalized weed that disproportionately affect hippies against the war and also black people. Then we saw this transform over time into the 80s, which led to the mass incarceration that we're seeing today. And we also have like explicit examples of things like the criminalization of crack versus cocaine and how it's actually the same substance in a different form, but the sentencing was different because the association with who used those drugs was also different. And I'm like, they didn't even try to hide it. Like it was explicit in the law that, you know, possession carrying usage was disproportionately impacting communities of color. Are you saying that crack cocaine and cocaine are the same damn thing, Mariah? (laughs) Yes, that is what I'm saying. (laughs) Y'all got me fucked up. So just to kind of give a high level overview of mass incarceration in America for marijuana specifically, 15.7 million people in the last decade alone have been arrested for cannabis offenses. Wow. And now we're facing this opportunity to not only get them out of prison, but get those charges off their records because we're making a ton of profit off of this industry. And it seems crazy to leave consumers 
incarcerated for these offenses. Yeah. I mean, people are literally in prison on like minor possession charges for things that people can legally walk around and do nowadays. We asked Cisco to share what he thinks are some of the most important steps in mobilizing change and mitigating the negative societal impacts involving cannabis. You know, I think the biggest change that needs to happen with cannabis is, is truly the decriminalization of it or the the, uh, the legalization of it. Uh, e- either one, you know, people have to stop going to jail for cannabis. And that would be, I think, the number one um, important thing that how you know cannabis could impact society is just to simply stop um, having it be something that's illegal. You know, I, I think that that alone would uh, would be a huge impact. Uh, and then, uh, then second to that, which is like, uh, which is all part of the same conversation, which is, you know, expungement of records and rectifying the historic wrongs and, and, and making sure that people who are in jail for simple possession um, or uh, have records that keep them from employment just because they mm-hmm. were caught with a gram of cannabis five years ago. Um, you know, Scott and I were discussing, you know, it's with cannabis. Yes, you know, there's the there's there's jail, which a lot of people unfortunately experience, and and disproportionately in the states, people of color experience that. But you know, there's also the um, the record, which is a huge barrier to employment, to education, to voting afterwards, voting, voting, hundred uh, percent, absolutely. I mean, those would be the first things I, I think that need to be sort of addressed, and and uh, you know, and and I have to say, you know, it's amazing the progress that is taking place in the United States. Um, and here in Canada, we have a, uh, a program where if you want to have your record um, expunged, you can apply to have that done through the government. Um, but I'm happy awesome. to see that in some places, some jurisdictions in the States, um, that's, that's, uh, that's happening more um, um, proactively. The government is, is going through their records and expunging those records that they have that have cannabis attached to them. Um, not forcing the person who has the record to seek their own um, resolution. So, With big banks, big corporations profiting off of it, we all know that's the reason why it even became a consideration for the U.S. to start legalizing it. But money is the motive. Yeah, always, always. We have to, even though money is the motive, we have to understand that this is going to require such a pivot in our society not only from the sheer profits that are being made and the actual policies that are going into legalizing it, but a pivot from an educational standpoint, from a stigma standpoint. So it's not only just the legalization of weed, it's getting people the resources to be able to make informed decisions about how they should be consuming safely for themselves. So that's why we decided to pick cannabis justice over just legalization. And we asked Scott how True Fact is providing access to information that can impact our individual experiences as we see this progress happen with cannabis justice. Everyone has a unique relationship that they will sort of develop with cannabis and how it's going to work for them. But everyone can have at least that uh, informed process is sort of the starting point we like to start with. So we just sort of give people basic guideline information on like how to consume safely and responsibly um, and then going more more into different consumption methods and stuff and then just just really educating consumers on using sort of the minimum effective amount 
that you really need to get the the desired effect because um you also don't want to be promoting overconsumption. There is definitely some some negative aspects of of cannabis consumption. Um, some of what you would deem the side effects of cannabis are sometimes what's desired to treat a med a medical condition. Like if you want to be using it to help you with sleep, but you don't necessarily want to be drowsy during the day. And cannabis can be very biphasic to one to a point where that means that um, a small dose of cannabis might be very effective but a larger dose might suddenly have the opposite effect and have a negative impact on what you're trying to do. And then the, the opposite can also be true. You may be taking a small amount because you're trying to be cautious, but you're not really getting into the, the therapeutic range for what you're trying to achieve for whatever, whatever the parameters are, what you're working with. But so it's really about kind of explaining to people that everybody re engages with cannabis differently and that it's kind of a self-experimentation process that you have to sort of start with. And it's just giving people that framework and then building a starting point from there to kind of get, get them going on their own pathway. Everybody has like a different, even like say like listening to music, if you could compare having a relationship with music. So people could use music for different reasons. You might listen to it to almost meditate or be relaxed. Some people will work out with music. Some people could do any number of life activities with music and just saying, oh, I listen to music doesn't really capture that. Well, my listening to music for me is gonna be different than everybody else. And in the same way, like your cannabis consumption could be so many different things. It's just a very personalized, thing that you kind of form a unique relationship with. I just trying to find a better word for it or metaphor than relationship, but it really is sort of like a, a bond that you make and have a reciprocal balance, a balance with. Yeah. And I think what we kind of have to do at this point is take the lens away from this is good versus this is bad. Cause this is like an individual experience, whether you decide to consume, partake, or even enter the industry yourself, it's up to you. All right, we are moving and grooving into our three cents, which is just a weed bit more than our unfiltered thoughts. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, that was a lob. We had to do that. Yeah, I had to. I'm sorry. I couldn't even hold it in. I couldn't even keep it going until the very end. But... I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. For my three cents today, I'm going to talk about the historical context of marijuana and how we're seeing that manifest in today's push for legalization. So the push for legalization not only has its financial benefits, but it's also an effort to undo a lot of the consequences that came from the war on drugs, aka undoing the criminalizing drug policies that disproportionately impacted and incarcerated people of color. I think we've seen part of the ownership a little bit. We have former presidents, like even President Trump, granted pardons for people and clemency around possession charges, et cetera. However, of course there's a but. I don't think a lot of it is really going into the infrastructure of how we're setting up policies and criminalization. It's for show, it's for media. It's, hey, look what I was able to do and then it'll free these 10, 15 people. And so it's not the sustainable change that we need if this is going to be effective in the long term. And I think we see that with all policies, a lot of it starts off being like symbolic and celebratory, but when we can't see an action or see how something is going to be achieved, 
we really struggle. Yeah. I mean, that's very on brand for the U.S. As more states and cities are starting to legalize cannabis, we're actually starting to see that this isn't necessarily producing the social benefits that we wanted. And a lot of that has to do with the who, the what, and most importantly, the where. And before I get into this, I would like to say that before this research, I was a huge advocate for legalization because I wanted to undo the effects of the war on drugs. And I genuinely believe like these were the answers, but I think it's important here to recognize that sometimes the intent is not always executed exactly how you imagined it. And Mm -hmm. it is okay to change your mind based on those realizations and the reality of it. So in 2016, there was a study done that examined the availability of cannabis stores in relation to where they were located in Colorado. They found that regardless of store type, so cultivation, retail, transportation, whatever, marijuana stores are more likely to be in neighborhoods that have higher racial and ethnic minority populations, higher crime rates, higher density of alcohol outlets, and a lower household income among residents. I mean, you want to be shocked, but I'm not all at the same time. Yeah. And this isn't even specialized to Colorado. A study was done in 2020 that found a similar trend in California where licensed and unlicensed cannabis retailers were disproportionately located in areas with higher proportions of people of color and people living in poverty. This is just an interesting concept because it's kind of like a chicken in the egg. People always want to point the finger to say like, oh, well, it's your individual choice for using or you know, abuse of a particular substance. However, when we consistently concentrate these substances or the availability of these substances in communities, and you pair that with under-resourcing in other aspects of life from health disparities, educational disparities, access to grocery stores. So when we talk about risk, it's not just based on an individual consumption outlook, but it's also based on the social context of where you are located. So something as simple as your neighborhood and your income can play a role in how your individual use manifests throughout your lifetime. Yeah. It all comes back down to the who, right? Like they put, they, the cannabis industry and the government put these stores in those communities because there's an association with those demographics having a higher drug usage. But the kicker is that the demand is actually pretty consistent between different demographics, affluent demographics. Wealthier communities who are predominantly white want access, but not association. So that is their way of being able to achieve that and keep up the image of, oh yeah, we're not associated with drugs because there's a stigma. Yeah. And it's just getting to the point where we're willing to put these dispensaries in these neighborhoods because it's fitting, quote unquote, but you're not giving them adequate grocery stores or even healthcare facilities. Like we can't bring in a Trader Joe's into these communities because they're not meeting the demographic criteria, particularly the median income threshold. Hmm. Wait, Trader Joe's? What does that even mean? A median income threshold. Meaning they don't 
hit a high enough average income among all the households that live in that city or jurisdiction. Wow. Just wow. Which is so ironic. And to be clear, these are not minority owned businesses. According to a UPenn study that was done in 2019, less than 2% of all cannabis shops are owned by minorities of any community. So long story short, we're essentially exploiting these neighborhoods to bring in millions of dollars to our cities and local economies and even the cannabis industry. But we aren't giving these communities the resources to properly combat any negative impacts and potential risks of having those industries in their neighborhoods. I mean, risk is relative too. like, it's just this idea of overconsumption. And I think that's where there's more blurred lines with the legalization of weed is when consumed properly, there a lot of those risks can be mitigated. But to your point, we're not giving people the access to information for them to be able to make those decisions. For my three cents today, I want to change the conversation just a little bit. We talked a lot about decriminalization of weed and what that actually means in communities of color. But I think we also have to talk about what happens afterwards and the regulation that's going to have to come from a financial aspect, but also from a safety and community aspect. Because moving forward, the emphasis is going to be on the money. And we know that's what it's all about. But we have to make sure that how we're setting up criminalization of marijuana in the future doesn't land us right back where we are today. And we alluded to this before, but when something is highly regulated, it usually means it's highly taxed. According to Last Prison Project and 2018, so this is before a couple of the most recent states have legalized it recreationally, the United States made $10.4 billion. $10.4 billion. Woo. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And actually... In California specifically, since they have legalized in 2016, they have reached a revenue of $2.75 billion just on their own. Damn. I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. If you were doing this and you were smoking weed for a long, long time, there is no way you're paying 150% more just to go to your local dispensary. Like... I think people will just continue to get it the quote unquote old fashioned way. You have a plug, whether it's legal or not. Like, I think the regulation when it comes to that is going to be really, really challenging because I don't think that people are going to be willing to shift their behavior to pay heavily taxed and regulated weed that they don't even know if that money is going back into their communities. And so, again, it goes down to people kind of doing whatever they want. I think it's going to take a long time for people to shift their behavior. Really, the only time I I see them doing that is from a variety standpoint. Like if your plug's dry and you want to go to the store, now you can get gummies, lollipops, oils, et cetera. But other than that, I just think this shit is too expensive. It's a luxury. It is. But that's also why it's taxed so heavily, right? Because this is an acceptable tax, not only to cities that are deciding to take that risk of putting that industry in their cities, but also by the public, like, okay, if they're willing to buy it, let's tax the shit out of it. And we're going to generate all this money for this program, this program, and that program. 
that you want to see or for this new facility that you want to see. So the public at the end of the day has the last say and they have to be okay with it. And a lot of it is the perception that this is going to bring crime, increase youth drug use, which that's not necessarily the case based on a lot of the studies done, but it's all about perception. Yeah. In my head, I'm just thinking of the scenario where I could either have under the ground weed and smoke that versus going to the store and smoking it. It might even be, we'll call it the same, but like, how is the government even going to know? Like, how do we plan on regulating that? Like, I, I just don't know how they're planning to set this up for the future. And it even comes down to policing, comes down to safety. Like think about drunk driving where we have a lot of tools to hold people accountable. They do checkpoints. You have like alcohol, your blood alcohol level, et cetera, et cetera. All this guidance around when you shouldn't and shouldn't be operating a vehicle, even with like opioids and stuff like that. Like you can't pop a Vicodin and then go jump in the car. That's just not safe. But with weed, we don't really have a lot of studies on this. And I just think it's going to take some time to not only do the research, but it's kind of like full rain right now. And I'm a a little bit afraid from an enforcement standpoint without the proper tools, it's just going to end us back in the cyclical piece of people still being prosecuted because there's lack of standardization across how we're regulating within city to city. In some cities, we are still seeing disproportionate arrest rates for people of color on different types of cannabis charges. So things like public consumption or minority consumption. According to a Washington Post analysis in DC, where recreational marijuana is legal, marijuana arrests have declined by more than half, but Black people still account for just under 90% of all of those newly arrested on all pot-related charges, even though they only make up about 45% of the city's population. I actually came across a similar study done in Denver, and it showed that the average number of Hispanic arrests for marijuana increased by 98% since legalization. So the legalization is there, but clearly old habits die hard. I feel like we are trying to do the right thing. Like It goes back to the intention and execution, but we're falling short. I do think change takes time and you're not going to see the positive outcomes that you want immediately. And I think this is going to be something that our generation is going to be able to see. And we are in a unique position because we can set the tone for future generations and future generations. All they might know is legalization. That's it. Like they're not going to have to push and fight for change in this sense. So Scott and Cisco had some incredible insights. So we wanted to pass them the mic to share their three cents on how cannabis became more than just a plant to them. It's a tool and it's sort of a really, really multifunctional tool. It's like, it's like something out of a science fiction movie. It's like, here's this magic tool. It can do (laughs) anything you put your mind to. It's perfectly designed to have a a balance with your, your, your system. And, uh, it's going to activate on your endocannabinoid system in your body. And, uh, it's more than just a drug in the sense that it's, it's more of a, it's more like a, a tool set 
and a way of kind of approaching things. And I think the biggest thing it allows people to do is once they start to use cannabis a bit is you can become more introspective and slow down and become more self-aware of your own processes. And then you start to become more aware of the processes around you. And then it allows conversations kind of like what we're having today that are a little bit more engaged and a little bit more digging below the surface of issues. And I think that's one of the biggest powers of it. And that's kind of why it's been suppressed for so long on a certain level is like, that's one of the things is it allows people to connect with themselves first and then to each other in a way that's just uh, balancing for the universe. I don't know, not to get all floofy there and kind of uh, hippy dippy there with cannabis. Love it. I love your explanation. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's the perfect balancing tool to basically it's 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 the magical cure for for all of humanity's problems one <laughs> or another like you could really have that conversation you could debate it on like textiles and resources food um, health and wellness it's not just a drug in that way that it's activating on your system but it's also like a um it's a nutritional supplement it also balances your whole body it's just it's just part of your balance, basically. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm rambling on a bit now, but uh, no. I'll, I'll leave that there for now. <laughs> something that I don't think is appreciated is that, um, you know, there's a, something like Scott touched on there called the endocannabinoid system, which is the, the, in, the, the inherent system in our body that, um, that uh, the cannabinoids act upon, but it's in every one of us. Um, and it wasn't even just nobody, no scientist knew it existed until uh, scientists were doing um, studies on cannabis uh, and ultimately discovered that this molecule had a receptor in the human body. And so it's it's a uh, it's definitely kind of you know like I said it's part part of uh, our balancing system. It's part of our homeostatic system, and and uh, yeah, it really does it. it it's funny when people say, "Well, it's the miracle. It's the miracle drug. It'll help. It'll help you with everything." But uh, in in some in some ways, you know, there's not much uh, human, not many human processes that homeostasis doesn't touch on. From you know uh, the the you know fluid moving between cells and you know the body temperature and all of that stuff. And uh, the endocannabinoid system is what controls all that to a large degree. And cannabis is part of, you know, part is, is, you know, acts upon that system. So it's not, un, it's not, it's not ridiculous to think that it really can have some of these wide ranging uh, health effects yeah? and, and really be a, 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 a natural health food product. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. I think what you said about the, basically just the science of it all just makes a lot of sense if you're able to remove yourself from all the stigma and look at it how it is and it also gives you the opportunity to kind of conceptualize everything that's going around and ryan and i are huge advocates of doing that that's kind of why we started down for the cause to begin with so i think that ties in and hits home for us yeah and there's a, a lot of the research that has been done over the last you know, like last 20 30 years there has been like good research starting but prior to that and even still during this time, most research funding is only approved in the United States to prove the negative effects of cannabis, right? So most funding never even gets approved. And then once, once you get your study approved to go forward, um, traditionally all of the cannabis came from the University of Mississippi. 
And so it was all grown in one place. And traditionally the canvas that was coming out of there was very, very poor quality. So you're trying to rate the efficacy of something when you're not even starting with a good representation mm-hmm. to begin with. So it's like, well, of course it didn't work very good. It had barely any active ingredients in there that they were trying to like actually target with. Right. So it didn't get the desired effect because by nature of the research was flawed to begin with. Which, right. Just playing a losing game in that. Yeah. Sense. It's, it's like the game is rigged. Right. And then when you start to just analyze history and look at these things that have happened and go, well, wait a minute, they did this. And like, well, why did they do that? Or like if they're lying about this or this was not the accurate facts. And then you just change the whole paradigm about when you're just having that conversation. It's like lifting the, lifting the veil of fallacy off of it. And then suddenly going like, wait, this thing actually has, we have an endocannabinoid system. Wait a minute. What does that mean? Like, yeah, I had to Google it. I was like, I have no idea what that is. Right. (laughs) Now I know. So, Okay, you know what time it is, Sid. It's shots o'clock. My favorite. So for those of you who are new to the show, shots o'clock is a segment where there are three questions never before seen, and we each have 60 seconds to answer. So no rehearsals. We're just going for it. And Mariah has the honor of answering two of these questions this week. All right, let's get right into it. Okay. Question one, as a consumer, are you worried about the health effects surrounding marijuana? Go. Uh, So from what we know about marijuana use today, scientific-wise, statistic-wise, no. Um, I think as a society, we've promoted things that are much worse and we consume things that are much worse. And I mean, you think of like alcohol, cigarettes, prescription drugs, even food, like I'm not worried about weed. And I think if that is your concern, you should also take a look of everything you're consuming in your life. Um, But again, like you don't know, it could come out in a few years that there are adverse effects that we didn't know about, but I guess for my individual consumption, I'm good. And I think I'm done. Wow, Mariah. I finished before. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Did you cheat? Did you look at my question beforehand? (laughs) I promise I didn't. I promise I didn't. Okay. Are you ready for your first question of shots of Claxit? I'm clamming up, but let's do it. All right. I like this one. Sid, how would you feel if your kids or grandkids were huge stoners. Ready? Go. Ooh. I honestly think it would have to depend on their level of productivity. I hate to say it, but we do live in a capitalist world and you are not going to be able to survive in the real world if all you are doing is sitting on your ass on the couch, smoking some dang gas weed like that's just not (laughs) tangible but I mean I wouldn't I personally wouldn't care if they were consumers I think a lot of it has to do with the educational piece like we've talked about and just being able to give them the tools to make the right decision I think that's 
it comes down to that. And if I were to come at them and be like, "Mm, absolutely not, no drugs, no alcohol, no nothing. That's just kind of one of those things that is going to really promote you to like do it, you know, especially as a kid and you want to defy your parents and you know what, just come down. I'm done. I'm done. Nice. Good job. I think I agree with you on that one too. Yeah. I mean, just as a parent, you want to just make sure that if they're going to make a decision or try something to at least be safe about it. Right. And no, like, listen, this can't be your whole life. As with Unless anything. you somehow, somehow create some sort of <laughs> demand of watching you smoke weed on the couch. <laughs> that could be an idea for our next podcast. <laughs> that might actually be kind of fun. Okay, Mariah, last question. I'm going to give you a little bit of a background. Oh, okay. So over the last few years, we've seen the approval rates for marijuana transcend a lot of demographics. Okay. So by age, gender, race, all that good stuff, even a little bit on the political party side. Hmm. Okay. So why do you think this is the case with this particular cause? when others tend to polarize those same demographics. Ooh, interesting. This one's a a little bit harder because I don't think there's a right answer. Not that, Ah, okay. I think that it goes back to the tangible aspect of it and people wanna consume. And I think there are a lot of positive benefits to cannabis. And people want to use it. People like doing drugs. Let's just be honest with each other. Like there isn't a particular community or demographic that has statistically higher demand or usage. So I think like we're realizing that this is something safe for us to consume and we all want access to it. I just think that it comes down to understanding the who and not associating the bad things with it to certain groups of people. Good close. You got close there. I know that one was a little bit more stressful. It took me a while to like figure out exactly what I was trying to say. (laughs) Yeah, but I agree with you. It comes down to this idea of individual choice. And that's something, especially as Americans, that we can all get on board with. We are now entering our last, but certainly not least, segment, OTTA, onto the action. We've had a chance to think about it and talk about it. So now let's do something about it. This one is just always my favorite. You know, we love a good documentary and True Fact recommended that we watch Grass is Greener. So make sure you check that out on Netflix. True Fact also has a library of resources that includes other documentaries like Weed the People and The Culture High. These might even be good things to watch if you're sitting around today celebrating 420. But regardless of whether you choose to consume or not, you should make sure to visit The Last Prison Project, which is an organization that we found working to ensure safe, just, and equitable communities by advancing drug policies and criminal justice reform. They partner with dispensaries to spread awareness, much like the information that we learned and talked about today. They make it super easy to support You can visit their site and click on Take Action 
to advocate for clemency legislation and sign the many petitions fighting for prisoner release and cannabis justice. Those are our thoughts for today's podcast on cannabis. And we know we only scratched the surface, so there's a lot more to be discussed. Be sure to check out True Fact at True Fact Cannabis on Instagram and their website, www.truefactcannabis.com. Their information will be available on our website along with all of the other resources we used for today's conversation. Make sure to tune in next time for our attempt to unpack sustainability. I'm your co-host, Mariah. And I'm your other co-host, Sydney. And thank you for being down for the cause. Mm -hmm.